The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a Black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass. You become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. <laughs> Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Elise Capron, signing in from Studio San Diego, and I'm so pleased to be joined today by Charlie Carter, our talented audio editor and regular guest co-host on the show. Charlie, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you, Elise. I'm very excited to be here with you today. I think it's the first time that you and I have done one together, isn't it? I know, I know. Very exciting here on season nine. And I, you know, Charlie, I've said how much I appreciate having you on the team before. And I, I really do. And um, yeah, great to uh, be just the, the two of us today with some special guests. I'm really excited. And I'm so grateful that you're here because I know you have had a very long work week. So thank you for making time. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you too <laughs> for those very kind words and for, for putting up with all of my rubbish. <laughs> oh, it's so not rubbish. Oh my gosh, we're so grateful for you. But yeah, so pleased to have you on. And now I'd like to introduce our special guests. We have a really exciting episode today, which is focused on an amazing project, which has been made available to the MJ fan community and the wider world, the Michael Jackson Case for Innocence podcast. Now, many listeners will already know that this impressive and important podcast series was created by mother-daughter duo Cheryl and June, who are based over on the East Coast here in the United States. Their podcast series, which investigates in amazing detail each set of the Michael Jackson allegations, just wrapped its first season, and they have created some major ripple effects in the fan community already. And so this is a discussion today about amplifying the work they are doing for anyone who has not yet discovered the podcast. And also for those of you who have heard the series, we're going to be chatting about all kinds of topics around the creation of the project, getting a glimpse into some behind the scenes work, and much more. But first, let me welcome you both to the MJ cast, Cheryl and June. It's so great to have you here. How are you both doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Hi, Elise. Hi, Charlie. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Well, this has been a long time coming. And first, I just want to give a little bit of context to sort of set the scene for having you ladies here. So at the MJ cast, our relationship with Cheryl and June go all the way back to 2019, when the two of you started sending us letters. Now, these were like included just totally awesome photos of June dressed up as Michael Jackson. Um, but they were also really serious and detailed letters with a lot of great insights and questions. You guys were like, so invested from the beginning, and we loved getting those emails. It also was really amazing to over these last several years to get to kind of watch June grow up, June to see your fandom involve and to just engage with the two of you back at the start of all of this. On that note, too, I just want to briefly highlight the fact that originally we were going to have Q on this episode. I know he was a big supporter and a friend of both of yours from the very start. 
We had hoped he was going to be with us today, but the logistics got a little complicated and we finally had to give up on that plan. So June, I'd like to start with you. Can you take us all the way back to the beginning? Because this really was sparked by your own story of discovering Michael Jackson's music. Can you tell us how you became a fan and what first drew you to Michael? So I first was introduced to Michael Jackson through an 80s for runners pop playlist. And I heard the song Somebody's Watching Me. Rockwell featuring Michael Jackson, and then I listened to the Scream compilation album, and that's what really got me started in enjoying his music. What really got me kickstarted into full-on fandom was watching his music videos. I'd watch one every week as a treat, and I just was really drawn in by his passion for what he did and inspired to start doing some dancing, and yeah, that's what got me started. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, I think we talk a lot, us like boring old people talk a lot about the streaming music. But, you know, it sounds like for you, that's kind of how you stumbled into Michael Jackson world was this just popping up another playlist you had going on, right? Yeah, definitely. And one other thing that came from my fandom of Michael Jackson was buying records, a hobby for going to record stores and getting records. Uh, Michael Jackson records, other oldies, and CDs. So that opened me up to a blast from a past. <laughs> oh, so you were listening to records and CDs. I'm so proud. <laughs> That's <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> That's very, very cool. And so how old were you when you first started listening to Michael? 10 or 11. Oh, wow. Pretty sure. Yeah, you yeah. were 10. Yeah, fifth grade. <laughs> I love that. And so all this was kind of brewing, you know, you're you're experiencing the whole Michael Jackson era, um, fandom blooming. And then, of course, this thing happened, which rattled a lot of us called Leaving Neverland. So that was released in 2019. And how did that affect your feelings at that time about Michael Jackson? At first, I don't think I thought much of it. There was an article in the Washington Post, I think the New York Times as well, and I thought it was just like an opinion piece. I was I was confused by it at first. So after my mom explained it to me, I just tried to look at it from a logical point of view, like innocent till proven guilty. This was really before doing any research or learning more about it. And I don't think it started affecting me until the people around me talked about it and just treated him as guilty or just said mean things about him, um, like my teachers or other, my friends. So that was really hurtful, just since I really cared about him and just having people say that without even knowing anything. So you actually had a teacher make a comment about that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even um, recently, my teacher, I was explaining about the podcast to him. I guess this is skipping forward a bit. And he was like, well, I always thought he was guilty. Uh, Just very skeptical. And I really respect him as a teacher. It was just interesting to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And so were you growing up as, you know, still a preteen and then a teenager, let's say before leaving Neverland, were you kind of known as the MJ kid? I certainly know that I was and I know a lot of other people in the fan community were. Did you kind of have that reputation? And then Leaving Neverland kind of came in and really rattled that? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I was always wearing the t-shirts. All my Mm -hmm. neighbors knew that, my friends. I definitely made a few friends that way. So everyone kind of 
look towards me after that came out. And that would have been hard. Yeah. And June, can you tell me a little bit about how Michael has inspired you? He clearly has had a really big impact on your life. Yeah, I think he'll forever uh, leave a meaningful impact on my life, as you said, because he's inspired me to seek meaningful work in my future. And a few years ago, pre-COVID, we did an environmental protest together. And I remember my poster had lyrics from Earth Song on it or and Heal the World. And that was a big part of why I wanted to go out there and start learning more about climate change and environmental action. That is awesome. So does that mean you know what you want to do with the rest of your life? Has this given you? (laughs) What are your plans? I'd love to do a lot more volunteer work and engaging with the community Mm -hmm. and just helping the world be a better place. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. That's, that's, hey, that is the best thing that we could ask for, right? That I think that's what, what Michael would have wanted too. I mean, he would just be so happy to hear that. (laughs) And that in itself is inspirational too. Exactly. So Cheryl, turning to you, how did you feel when Leaving Neverland was released and you saw your daughter, who was such a massive fan, trying to process this really big news where the person who she saw as her idol was being torn down? What were you going through at that moment as a parent? It was devastating in our household at that time. I mean, at first, because she'd read the books, she knew that people used him for money. She, even upon hearing it, she thought in her heart that he was innocent. So when I sat down to talk to her, but then we really analyzed these were new allegations that she didn't know about, and we needed to look into it to be fair. She understood that, and uh, I I was just... uh, nervous about it because I didn't know at that point if it was true or not. Mm-hmm. So my my job in the beginning was just to make sure she understood we, we didn't know how this was going to shake out. And she trusted me. She trusted me. Mm-hmm. So that was my first approach was just to see what we could find. And, and I told her we may not know. We may not be able to find out the truth. Mm-hmm. So first was just on my own, tackling the research and seeing what I could find. Mm -hmm. And I have to ask just for a little bit of context, were you a Michael Jackson fan on your own at all? Or it was really June's thing, right? Yeah, it was June's thing. We, I was not a fan. My husband wasn't a fan. It just, I, he was not on my radar really at all. So yeah, I didn't have any preconceived notions about him, pro or con. Mm-hmm. So that also, I think, helped going into the research. I, I really wasn't biased in that way. So to that end, Cheryl, what was your awareness of Michael Jackson at that stage then? You say that you and your, your husband weren't necessarily fans. Right. What was your awareness of Michael Jackson at the time? Well, I really only knew him from Thriller. And after that time, he just fell off my radar. I know, uh, I remember in college, like Janet Jackson was more in my ears, not, you know, just around the music that was around. Michael Jackson, after Thriller, in my personal world, just kind of fell off my radar. And, and so, I mean, even when the trial came around, I was just not clued in at all to that. I I just 
have very few memories except for seeing the one picture when he was first arrested. Kind of remember that picture and maybe the feeling of just like, huh, mm. you know, but I wasn't pulled in. I, I just, it just wasn't on my radar. And so, I mean, I didn't know his music after, probably bad. I didn't really know his music even after that. Mm. Yeah, this was all all fresh and new going into this research. And how did you do your research? Where did you start there? I know it ended up getting pretty deep dive <laughs> at a right, certain point. Right. Yeah, at first I wanted to look at the innocent and guilty side. So I wasn't at first going into primary research. I was going into the websites that believed in its innocence, and they had the, the research and resources to back up what they were saying, like the Michael Jackson allegations. And then I would go to sites that were saying he was guilty and try to follow their leads and see where the arguments were, where the source material was. So that's where I first approached it versus just, you know, jumping into reading trial transcripts or things like that. And that was a great place to start because that then led me to all the primary sources. And I could quickly see the difference in the two approaches the sides that were for the innocents were willing to tackle every single argument. And the guilty sites would stick to criticizing the innocents' arguments on a few minor points that may be valid, just a few points, but then not addressing 95% of all the evidence that's out there, the overwhelming evidence. <laughs> so I could quickly see huh, there's some lack of transparency and they're not addressing. And the other side is willing to look at everything that the guilty side brings up, but the guilty side isn't willing to dress and engage honestly with everything the innocent cites. So that was a bit of a warning sign to me. And then from that point, that led me to the primary sources of, I'm, I want to read this transcript myself or just the news reports at the time. And then I went to the books of the people that were involved. So that it did lead from one to another. And the problem, as anyone who investigates the allegations and you want to know the truth, is you can't get there unless you explore all these leads. And there's a lot of leads. Mm -hmm. In terms of you doing research, I'm just curious, the research itself and the sources are so comprehensive. Do you have a research background? Well, I don't have any journalism or legal background, but I do have research background in my own profession mm -hmm. in physical therapy mm. because I've done a master's and doctorate programs in which we had to do a lot of research and we had to break down articles, studies that were published they would present their conclusions, but yet when we were breaking them down, we could see they didn't use the right statistical tools so that I learned to be skeptical of research, even if it's presented in this very professional way. When you went down and did the analysis, you could see that the outcomes and the results that they were positing 
weren't backed up. So I built a real skepticism. And through my training, I learned not to become emotionally attached to an outcome, but to follow the evidence. And uh, that was hammered into us in our, in our training. And I think that was a real asset in this project. Absolutely. And I think that comes through so well in everything you do with this podcast, because in the MJ fan community, for obvious reasons, a lot of us have felt, even I would say, maybe this is a strong word choice, but even kind of on the verge of like traumatized by going through this experience, not in the way, of course, Michael Jackson was not not saying that, but but it's a lot, right? It's a lot to take in. And a lot of fans, we can get very emotional about it. And it's it's difficult to navigate all of the information and also to be taken seriously sometimes. And right. so I think your approach is so vital because it's research-based, as you say, it's, you know, unemotional. And you look at all sides and you you look at what's really there in the evidence. Right. And in all the records that we have. And I, I just think that that's the crucial piece of, of what you do. Right. I think, you know, you have these, again, going back to research, you have these standards um, for good research, which means, you know, reliability, validity, lack, transparency. You have to be able to reproduce your studies. So for something like Leaving Neverland, in which there's no source material, that's a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. So I that was vital to me in going into this project is that everything I said, I wanted to provide that source material. And it was important to me to be transparent about my own doubts, where I got bogged down. And I say that in the podcast, like this is where I had trouble. And that's why it took me so long to do the research because I wouldn't settle until those questions were, you know, either amplified and maybe, oh, there is some some cause for worry here or reassured, but it had to be thoroughly reassured. I was not going to say case for innocence and overwhelming evidence unless it really was. So <laughs> I did follow all those question marks that I had. Then there were, you know, of course, quite a few in the beginning that I felt so uncomfortable about that I needed to really research and dig deep. Mm -hmm. Now, before you were thinking of doing this as a podcast, June, were you aware of everything, all this research your mom was doing? Were you guys talking about this as you went through the process? Or Cheryl, were you kind of off doing lots of stuff, trying to figure out how you were going to present this whole picture to your daughter? I was definitely aware at the time of my mom doing a lot of in-depth research. I was homeschooling, so we'd be side by side working, me on my Spanish homework or math, and I'd see her doing a lot of typing in pages and looking at websites, but I didn't have a very distinct picture of what she was doing or putting together. Yeah, I think I would try to share with her as I went along the process, and so she knew I went from gee, there's there's a lot here. <laughs> and then progressing to, wow, there's a lot that supports his innocence, but I'm not there, you know, to finally, June, I can't believe I'm saying this because for so long I would advise her not to say he's innocent, but just mm-hmm. to say the evidence doesn't support his guilt. Mm-hmm. So that's what 
you know, I encouraged her to have that mindset until I saw the evidence was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I had her part of the process all along. And, you know, you were doing so much research. Was there a certain moment or a couple of key moments where it all locked in and you were like, oh, yeah, like he really is clearly innocent? Or would you just say it was the collection of everything you researched over time? Yeah, I don't think there was a moment. It was Mm -hmm. just that collective, you know, I, I can't say how many months into it, it really happened. But it was just the deeper I go, the more innocent he looks. And Mm -hmm. that's just the pattern just kept continuing that way, despite how hard I was trying to, you know, it's kind of called the null hypothesis in research. It was like you're trying to prove this main hypothesis. And so I was really working to do the best I could to represent that other side but it was just amazing that it was so true. The deeper I looked, the more innocent he looked. Mm-hmm. And that never changed. Mm-hmm. Cheryl, how early or late in your research did you decide this could be made into a podcast? Was there a distinct moment that you or June remember where you said, hey, we should record this? I do. It was originally only me trying to find the truth for June, whatever that took. And it was only after June had some experiences where she became very upset with seeing how things were being spoken about in the media or just through her personal experiences, people were misinformed. That lit a fire in her to do something. I want to do something. And so it seemed very strong and very determined. And I wanted to help her realize that. And so we first talked about just doing a presentation just for our family and friends, because she wants the people around her that she loves to know that some, you know, she wants them to know. So that was our first thought, but it's just, you just can't do a presentation in two hours. (laughs) You just can't. I mean, that, that would have taken, it just wasn't the right outlet. I mean, that's just what led us to the idea of a podcast because a book, you know, it's just hard to get people to read a book unless you're already a fan. We thought the podcast could have a greater reach and boil things down more into more digestible bits. And there wasn't anything like it out there that was willing to just put everything out there. And that's what I wanted because that's what I wanted in the beginning. I wanted a podcast like that. And so that's what we aim to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to your point earlier about thinking how you were going to share this information and thinking about doing something like a presentation, I really agree with you there that, and also speaking to the research you were doing, um, that with this kind of stuff, these allegations, you really do have to go into this incredible detail with each set of allegations in order to see that big picture and in order to see how all the pieces start fitting in and in order to see, as you phrased it, you kind of, you know, coming out and feeling more and more absolutely certain that he was innocent because you see how it all works together. And the only way to do that is with a, you know, 20 part <laughs> podcast right. series and going into that level of detail. 
That's right. My my goal was not to have people come out of it saying, "Wow, there's a lot of doubt here." I just、mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I covered everything so that it would be convincing. And that's right. So you have to go into each of the allegations in depth, but then tie them together as you're going along. Tie them together, building that picture so they can see the patterns. And then it was important after each set of allegations to do that summary episode to hammer home all the points and those patterns of deception. By the accusers, point out those patterns of deception, and by the end of season one, to clearly make the case that there's no credibility here.、Mm-hmm. Now you're kind of getting into thinking about the overall structure of this series, and I was wondering how did you start to think about the overall narrative arc? How did you start kind of figuring out the connections? How did you start kind of building the skeleton, I guess, of the of the series? Did you like kind of chart the whole thing out? What was the process there? Can you take us into that? I definitely had an outline of all those major themes of. You know the media bias, the police and prosecutor bias, the accusers. Their their similar patterns and wanting to be in the entertainment business and having mental health issues. You know, I so I had all the major points I wanted to say, and so as I'm going through each case, just making sure I start to point it out. During the episodes, but then be able to tie it at each of the summary episodes, and then at the very end, just really hammer those in.、Mm-hmm. So yes, I had that those skeleton points, even from the beginning. Well, the whole thing just feels so amazingly streamlined. It's one of the things I'm most impressed with about the series is that it's such you go into such granular detail, and yet. It's a very smooth transition from one point to the next. Each idea flows right into the next one. It really does feel like there's an overall arc, and I really love that. Not only do you go into this granular detail, but then, like you've said, you give us those summary episodes as well. Which, you know, it's so it's so much information for anyone who has not listened to the series yet. It can actually feel a little bit overwhelming. You have to be focused. This is not like. Just running with your dog, like no, it's <laughs> you really need to sit down and listen to this. And there's a lot to absorb, and it's the kind of thing where you might even listen to episodes multiple times. But what is so helpful is that then you have these summary episodes that lock in on those key vital takeaway points, which for me is so vital in terms of feeling re-anchored in the central arguments. It's、right. just such a brilliant way to approach the whole thing. Right, I had a few editors that would help me with that because sometimes you feel like points are obvious, but you know I would have a couple editors say you need to you know hold their hand and really point this out here and make sure this is really hammered in. You know, bringing out those major points that you want to make. Just it's okay. Just. Say it clearly and、mm-hmm. <laughs> say it repeatedly.、Uh, and I do think an asset for me in that respect is I'm a big picture person,、mm-hmm. and that is an asset. I just am a big picture, and it and I have a strength in trying to break down complex 
issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this I've never done anything on this kind of scale before. <laughs> About broke me. <laughs> My logic cylinders, you know, but my organizational skills were an asset. But that's the strength that I brought into it, for sure. It's, it's always stepping back and seeing that uh, that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And you said you were getting a lot of feedback along the way, even in the early stages? Early stages, no, 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 no feedback in the early stages. Only once I recorded them. And first, it was just for a couple editors just to listen to and give me time-stamped feedback on just areas where, you know, their mind wandered or they just, they weren't sure the point I was trying to make. That, it just was so helpful because these were people, I had editors who also did not know Michael Jackson or had no idea about the allegations. So it was very helpful to get their feedback and guidance on what was interesting, what they needed more of, what I didn't answer. That was really helpful. So I had a couple editors, and then I had lots of test listeners after that. So I got even more feedback, and I could adapt each time to hear what questions they had that I hadn't answered or wasn't clear that I could clarify. But mainly with those test listeners was just to see, is this interesting to non-fans? You know, was this boring? Was it interesting? Was it convincing, most of all? That was the most important thing to me was, was this convincing? Mm -hmm. So I would never have gone forward without all of these test listeners that reassured me that non-fans thought this was interesting and completely convincing. So you did a lot of work before you started getting feedback. How long would you say you were actively working on and creating this before you got to the stage of having test listeners? I'm going to say it was 2020 that by that time we decided to start the podcast. And then it wasn't ready for test listening until 2022. I put it out in the fall of 2022. So it would be yeah, sometime in 2022, early 2022. Wow. Yeah. Cheryl and June, you both mentioned, or you mentioned earlier that part of the reason for, for wanting to go ahead with this was some of the, the people that didn't believe in Michael Jackson's innocence in your personal lives, such as teachers and, uh, and friends. Did you meet with any feedback from people that you know when they heard that you were doing not just a podcast about the Michael Jackson allegations, but one, uh, you know, putting the case forward for his innocence rather than his guilt? No, the the negative feedback we got was when the allegations first came out. By the time we were working on the podcast, I didn't really talk about it very much to anyone, and neither did June, actually, because we didn't know if it was going to be a podcast, because we're amateurs. <laughs> so we just didn't really talk about it except for very close friends, because it was a little embarrassing because who was I to think I could put out a podcast? I really didn't know if I could do this. So that meant that we didn't get that kind of feedback. Once we were ready to put out the podcast is when more when we told people. And we weren't really talking to people who thought he was guilty. We were just telling our neighbors and friends, and they were very encouraging. And I remember people were so grateful. Because so, so many people wanted to know, 
people, especially of my generation, who kind of grew up with Michael Jackson, and they had no idea. And so I, I heard a lot of gratefulness, and we didn't really get negative feedback from our friends and family and you know people that we told. Good. That's good to hear. Yes. Yes. Cheryl, you know, you've did all this research, you like created this amazing project. What about the logistics side of it? Like you like you said, you went into this never having made a podcast. Uh, you didn't have any experience. How did you approach figuring all that out? Oh my gosh. Uh, YouTube to you tutorials. How else? <laughs> I did have one other I'm I'm a low tech gal. I did have one other I had a healthy eating blog for a while. So I did have some experience developing a website. So just developing a website is hard for me. <laughs> so to do that and do a podcast was just I just can't believe I did all of that. So yes, it started with YouTube. And so, I mean, but every step was hard. You know, you get through one step and you think, oh, but then the next step was just as hard. <laughs> every step, there was no step in this that was like a relief. Everything was hard. So yeah, first you think about what equipment you want, what kind of mic do you want? What kind of connection? What kind of mic stand? What kind of audio interface? What kind of headphones? You always had the cost versus the quality balance. Where am I going to set up the studio? Yes, we had so much learning to do. And then once I did get the equipment, I used GarageBand. So mm, tons more YouTube tutorials there. And many, many, many errors and mistakes there. <laughs> many mishaps, shall we say. Yeah, just the whole technical side of it was a very steep learning curve, but it was exciting too. It was exciting to learn this whole new set of skills. Well, and let's be clear too, you, you didn't just like buy a mic and record your voice, right? I mean, this was, again, <laughs> deeply researched, fully scripted, professional podcast with voice actors, which right. is not something I've right. never been investigated. You you really went all out. It's commendable. It's, um, I, it's when, when you first got in touch with us, and, you know, we'd, of course, heard from you many times over the years. So we love hearing from both you and June. And you were got you were like, Oh, my gosh, well, we're gonna release this podcast. And I started kind of listening to the test piece you sent us. And I was just like, what? Like, oh my gosh, like you have gone all out, right? <laughs> Most people would yeah. not do what you've done. And it's really incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, when I first listened to it, it was just me. And that was completely unacceptable. So <laughs> that's when I got the idea of voice actors, because ah, okay. there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of mm -hmm. parts that could be emphasized. There's excerpts from books. And it so helps the listener to have that contrast and to have that professional voice chiming in against, you know, my voice. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I was committed. That was a whole other level because that was a different hat I had to wear to, to be able to be a director, really. You, you think, oh, I'll just give a voice actor a script and he'll read it and I'll send back the audio. I'll chop it up and put it in. But it's, it's a lot of directing. As good mm -hmm. as they are, 
They don't know what kind of pacing you want. For each sentence that you give them in the script, you have to say how you want it spoken. Do you want it spoken defensively or forcibly or, <laughs> or you know, so there was a lot of back and forth with the voice actors just getting the sound right. So that was a really kind of a fun, but a whole other challenge for me, trying them out and making sure the pacing worked with my pacing, that kind of thing. Speaking of narration on the podcast, you are the primary voice, even though, of course, June has very much been involved in this whole experience. Can you tell us about that decision and how you kind of decided on the right balance of when June should chime in? Sure, yeah. Because at first, I was only going to have her on the initial episode where she talked about her love of Michael Jackson and how we got the podcast started. That was my initial plan. And maybe to have her in the beginning and the end of episodes, just to say maybe a summary at the beginning and maybe what's coming next at the end. Because initially, when I first started doing the podcast, she was a lot younger. And I didn't want her voice with these sensitive subjects. I just wanted myself and the voice actor. But as we got closer to the release, and I do have a chronic vocal disorder, just chronic hoarseness. And so if, as I'm speaking now, you can't hear it maybe as much. But as I record, you have to do a little bit of projecting, and my voice cracks frequently. So it's you know, what might take someone else 15 minutes to do five minutes or, you know, an easy recording could take me hours. <laughs> so she really wanted to help me. By the time we were getting ready to release and I was needed to re-record, she really wanted to help me. And she also was so much more mature now. And she understood these allegations. She took them really seriously. And it, it really helped. Again, I used my test listeners. They loved having her. They thought it made the podcast more authentic to have her in there. And we you know, just tried to balance making sure it's not the content that she was speaking wasn't too sensitive. Mm -hmm. But it helped to have that third voice because it's such, it's so evidence dense and it can be a challenge, you know, sometimes to follow all the evidence. It just helps to have a third contrasting voice. And so that also weighed in on my decision. Mm. Well, I think the way you approached it is great because, you know, you've also talked about how you really were doing the primary research. And as you say, it is sensitive subject matter. So, um, you know, it's delicate to think about these questions. But I also love hearing when we get June's voice to chime in. And I think what you're saying about bringing in the different voices, you know, the way that I think of your podcast series, even though it is a podcast, I think it almost has more of the tone and approach of like an audiobook really. Yes. Uh, and I think it can be helpful for listeners to even think of it in that way. I think that's absolutely right. It was never going to be a conversational podcast because I needed to get my points to make my case. As you know, <laughs> I've laid it out. I need to make my points and not divert too much off of that. And so more conversational, less scripted would go down different paths and maybe not 
allow me to cover all the evidence in the way I needed to build my case. So it is more like an audiobook where I have a set point and finish. I definitely think it's more helpful to think of it as an audiobook mm-hmm. than a podcast because most podcasts are conversational and a lot of people are prepared to hear that type of format. Mm-hmm. It's definitely different, but there was no other way for me to approach it. You do also occasionally use archival audio. Not that much. It's it's pretty sparingly that use it, but we get it in a few moments here and there. When did you make the decision to include actual audio clips as opposed to having your, you know, actor read something? Was it just an issue of like getting permission to use something or how did that work? Well, I think a couple things. I I first just learned how to capture audio from you know, do the do the technical side of it. But then, for example, in the first allegations at Chandler's, there wasn't as much audio to even feature. But then you get to some of the later allegations, there's a lot more. So it was just mostly I added it more later as it was more appropriate to. So I think that was the impetus was just that would really help here. And, and all my test listeners loved that too. They love that extra audio, right? It does add a lot. And the moments that we get it, I think it really um, hits home whatever point you're making at that moment. Yes, right. So telling us a bit more about the experience of actually producing a podcast, what were some of the biggest challenges or surprises or mishaps along the way of making this project? Lawnmowers, (laughs) (laughs) Lawnmowers, <laughs> <laughs> whippersnippers, as as we've experienced on the MJK. Squeaky chairs. I think it's squeaky chairs. I think I can tell you the schedules of all of my neighbors' lawn mowing uh, weekly sessions. Uh, <laughs> I, I I know when people are going to be mowing their lawn and when to avoid recording during those times. <laughs> and my poor family, we have a, I have a family of chefs. They love to cook. So my poor family, I'm always telling them to be quiet. I'm trying to record. <laughs> you know, they're clanging around down there and I'm just a shush monster. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a lot of technical problems, just basic beginners mishaps of like with GarageBand and you're zoomed in on something, you're zoomed in on this 20 second clip and you're, you know, shifting around the audio between the different voices. And then you, you zoom out and you realize everything's deleted because you highlighted everything because you're zoomed in, you're zoomed in and you, instead of just highlighting this little piece, you've highlighted the whole thing. And guess what? You saved it. So, I mean, you learn the hard way that every time before you save it, you've got to zoom out, (laughs) zoom out. Um, So, I mean, simple beginners things, plenty of mishaps. And just June and I, in the beginning, I mean, we've laughed so, so hard in this studio we have here because it's just hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to speak a scripted podcast and go on and on and say these long sentences and 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 do it without flubbing and oh my gosh we would just laugh and laugh <laughs> it's funny cuz june has a limit she's like three times 
I'm out. That's her limit on re-recording. That's actually smart because you can do it forever, right? Like, <laughs> and then she'll be. I can see it sometimes because I, you know, I'm 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 writing a script, and it's hard for me to write a script for a speaker. I'm writing it to make sense. So sometimes they can be very long sentences, and I can see her eyes as she's saying a sentence, like, "Mom, how can you give me the sentence that's so long?" <laughs> it's hard, you know, you, you don't want to take a big breath in the middle of it. <laughs> so we had a lot of trial and error in the, in the recording studio. I bet. And I bet there are a lot of good bloopers. Oh yes. There's a lot of good <laughs> bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'll tell you, I, I am not a person who swears. That's just not me, but I've never sweared so much. <laughs> Before I stepped in my little studio, <laughs> I, I just can't believe it. I think June heard me one day. I was so embarrassed. See, I'm the other way around. I swear way too much and just have to control myself when I'm recording. <laughs> but I don't. Yes, but I don't play my swear words. This is one, because I'm messing up all of the time. <laughs> Those are my bloopers that you will never, never hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all we've all been there. We have plenty of bloopers we're going to edit out of this episode. <laughs> oh boy! Right. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Yes, <laughs> you'll, you'll hit them at Christmas. It's okay. Well, I mean, you've just you've really done amazing work, Charlotte. And I just again, I like just so deeply commend you for going to such great lengths for this project, which was first born as thinking about a way to have a conversation with your daughter. Yes. Now, not only is this an amazing podcast series, but you also have created an entire website, which is an amazing resource that you should all go check out because you have put online your source listings and notes for every single episode. So can you tell us a bit about just kind of what went into that? I'm sure that was like a full-time job on its own right there. Yeah, it really was. That's why I'm saying like every step was hard. It's like, oh, good. I recorded this. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I got to do my source page. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was just another difficult task to to make sure that everything that was on my episode was easily accessible f for anyone who wanted it. And it was a challenge because things that were available in the beginning of my research, I would go back before I was ready to release the episode and it's like, it's gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, these resources, as you know, they don't stick around. So then I'd have to do more research to see if I could find another source or and there were cases where I just had to not include it in my episode because I couldn't find the source material anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it also was like, how much was I going to include? I didn't want to just put a list on there, but give some context to the source material. So I do include some notes. And my goal is to flesh it out more, even more, put, put more notes for each episode. When I was ready to release in the fall of 2022, I had anticipated, because I had completed my recordings at that time, that I would have time to work on promotion and 
work on my website. But instead, I was putting all my energy into re-recording. That's what took my energy up. And so it's still something I want to do is to give even more resource material on the website. Well, I really do hope that this is just my little private dream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hope you do consider eventually down the road releasing all of this as some kind of book. I know you said that you thought about that initially, but I just, I have to say, I think, you know, you've done this entire script of many, many, many hours at this point, and you have all these sources available too. And I just can't, every time I hear your podcast, I keep thinking how incredible it would also be to have a companion book that really could be a resource guide, um, something you can really reference for fans. So I'm not going to ask you to commit right. to that right now, but I hope you'll think <laughs> about it because <laughs> I just think it would be a great next step down the road. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. You know, it's rewarding to know that it could be valuable as a resource. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, my my scripts are in the pretty hard to read my scripts because there's it's just so marked up and oh sad sad but you're right I mean the material is there and I I, I appreciate that that uh, it could be another resource mm-hmm. and June can you tell us for you personally going through this whole experience what have you really gotten out of it can you tell us a bit about that journey yeah so I've learned to be a lot more skeptical and have more caution when I'm making judgments about other people, Uh, especially if other people share that they have a passion for something. I've definitely learned to not just make a careless remark about it and to really put thought into what I'm going to say. And it's better to say, I don't know, than to make a judgment about something. And with podcasting specifically, my public speaking has definitely gotten better. And I've been able to share the podcast with my school and community. And overall, I've gotten really great feedback from it and from my teachers and peers. And it's been really great to share with other people what my mom and I have been working on. (laughs) Yeah. So what has the response been like? I mean, do they come back and tell you, have they like really listened to the whole thing? And and what, what sort of things do they say? Definitely. We've had some neighbors listen to it and be very interested in it, how it got started and also friends and family. And in my English class, we actually listened to an episode on the one on deception science we listened to as a class. So it was just, it was really sweet that they were all so interested in it and really enjoyed it, thought it was well done. (laughs) It was great. Has there been anything that for you was a big surprise in terms of response? I think getting such positive feedback from so many people around the world On the website, we can see where in the world people are viewing the site or listening to the podcast from. So just seeing people tune in from so many different places really means a lot. Exactly that point. I I love that with the MJCast too, just really seeing where people are tuning in from and realizing that we really have an international family here. It's very exciting. Yeah. June, do you feel that your understanding and reaction to what is put out in the media has also changed, not just your interaction with people on a day-to-day basis. I remember when I was a teenager, you sort of took everything that came out on the news as gospel, as truthful. 
Do you find yourself a little bit more skeptical now having gone through this podcast and done the research that you have? Yes, I do. And especially since a lot of articles about Michael Jackson came out in sources like the Washington Post, in NPR, and places where I get my news from on a daily basis. So now, not necessarily having complete distrust, but definitely being more skeptical about it. And how about other celebrities, June? Did you have any reaction to what they were saying in the media about Michael? Yeah, it was frustrating to see celebrities just using Michael Jackson and dragging him through the dirt for fame, clout, after Leaving Neverland came out. I remember just being very disappointed with the Oprah show and other people, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's focus now on bringing this project out to the fan community as you've been doing since you first started releasing the episodes in October of 2022. So as as mentioned earlier, you approached our team a couple months before you actually started releasing those episodes. And we were so excited to hear from you at the time and to learn about the project. Did you do outreach to other MJ fan groups? early on, um, like you did with us? What what did that part of it look like? No, we, we had no connection to the fan community. Since June was so young, she was just a fan of one. And, and well, you were our community, honestly. You were our community. Aww, <laughs> our little emails to, to you, because <laughs> we weren't even on social media. So no, no, we didn't have a connection to the Michael Jackson fan community at all. I felt a confidence in the quality of the project just because of all my test listeners and the reassurance that it could be of value to those outside the fan community and it could be convincing and interesting. So I had that confidence, but I was still nervous at the time of the release because these weren't fans and the fans have such a vast knowledge of these allegations So I can really appreciate the skepticism that they would face, you know, with any Michael Jackson project addressing the allegations, especially coming from a non-fan that's only relatively new to researching these claims. So I was nervous about that because um, I really respected their knowledge and their deep knowledge over many, many years. So I was nervous in that respect. So yeah, going into it, I didn't have that connection and was anxious before I heard the reception. Sherry, you said that you weren't on social media before this. Obviously, we've spoken on the MJ cast previously about how dangerous social media can be, as well as its obvious advantages. How has it gone for you? Well, my only presence at this point is on Twitter. You guys really, you introduced us on your podcast. And so that got us connected to the fans that were on Twitter and connected to us. And so the initial response was was so warm and and very welcoming. And so that was such a positive feedback for us to get. So it was overwhelmingly positive. Now, there's a small subset of negativity out there that was very unsettling because, like I said, I'm not a social media person and I'm very transparent. You know, I like to address any questions 
if you have questions or or criticisms, I want to address it. So, so when harsh things are brought up, I want to be like, whoa, do they have a point here? And it took me a little while to, you know, really gauge that they're just trying to pull you in for not honest reasons, not honest engagement, just to pull you into something. Mm. So it took a little bit to really figure that out. And I've got really great support from the Michael Jackson fan community to help me with that, to help me understand how to handle that. And, you know, blocking is, is a great feature. For that and it's been very protective for me, <laughs> especially when they start saying things about my daughter or my parenting and you know things that are just not helpful. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I don't mind any questions, but when you can see that it's not an honest engagement, I like to just there's just no point. Yeah, well, it's good to hear that you've had some or a lot of positive feedback and a lot of positive reaction. Obviously, you've touched on the fact that you've had some negative as well, and it, how you channel that is is very important as well. Right. So other than the haters, if you like, yeah. what challenges have you faced along the way or, or any big surprises that you've had with your foray into the social media world? I think just but my personality is very – I always like to – answer everyone's questions and respond with something that's, you know, meaningful and personal. And so it's just learning how to do that, but not be overwhelmed because it's so new too, and not to allocate the time wisely. Mm. So that was just, that was new as well. And surprises, I mean... It is interesting to see who's out there. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's interesting and, and your connections with people. I mean, it's been lovely, I think, the, the connections that I've been able to make through social media and feel all the positive benefits of it and be able to focus on that. And, and I've really appreciated the support from the fans and I've been so impressed by the fans and their dedication out there, just trying to keep it positive and informative. Well, I know you have very big supporters over, for example, at the MJ uh, Book Club mm-hmm. group. Oh, yes. yeah, they've they've been great group. Great group. Yeah, they're a great group, and everybody in that group, man, they they read everything so carefully, and they have just gone oh. out of their way to say how impressed they are with the depths of of detail you've gone to, and how every single thing and all their cross checking is exactly on point. And you know, as far as the haters go, I think it's just so important to remember that the vast majority of the time, like on Twitter it can feel like there are a hundred people going after you. And then you finally realize it's like three people who keep changing their accounts right. <laughs> <laughs> and their entire mission in life is just to be a troll and interrogate you on this yeah. one thing. So, Right. Right. But it is, it's, it's crazy to me how it can get personal. Um, the kind of stuff yes. people will say, and right. I'm sorry you've had to deal yes. with that. Thank you. 
And it's a lot. It's a lot just to dive right in. I mean, you're taking on a huge thing. You're you're taking on a subject that crumples people, that people don't want to deal with, right? Right. And in some ways, you could argue killed Michael Jackson. I mean, geez, yes. like, how do we That's deal great. with this, right? It just, right. it's so much weight. And um, you have just carried it with grace and, and strength uh, throughout the process. Thank you. Yeah, well, Injustice Burns, as Michael Jackson fans know, and so, you know, it really can carry you. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just amazing how you get refueled when you see the injustice continue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. goes on and on. It just goes on and on. off it, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was surprised after finishing season one, seeing the New York Times documentary come out. You, did you guys, were you aware of that? No. The sin is called Sin Eater. It was the one about Anthony Pelican. Oh, yes, yes. I heard your episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, New York Times. Come on. You know, it mm-hmm. just, you could do better than this. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do a little rebuttal to that. Mm-hmm. And then I saw there's another podcast coming out too. There's some people involved in that that I, you know, had great respect for as journalists. So again, it's, it's continually disappointing. Mm-hmm. So in my line of work, I work with quite a few journalists and I've had my own interactions of them totally jumping onto the bandwagon and it's just so deeply disturbing. And they work at, you know, they write for really respectable places and it's just crazy. Right. It's just like how they can be so professional with high journalistic standards with every other thing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and then seems like if they get onto this project with Michael Jackson, it's all those biases that they can't see get in the way and and self-interests. Since you bring up Sin Eater, let's talk a little bit about what you've done in season one and, and going forward. So season one, of course, really focused on the allegations, your summary episodes. Um, I know you have the episode also talking about deception science. Right. And then you've released a bonus episode, which is a rebuttal to the Sin Eater article in the New York Times. And I believe you have another bonus episode planned. Can you tell us what else is in store for between the seasons and also speak to what you have coming up in season two? Well, there's a new podcast that's supposed to come out very soon that also uses the narrative of Michael Jackson using his fame uh, for nefarious purposes. It looks like that was the theme from the trailer. And also it looked like they were using the theme of, you know, journalists who loved Michael Jackson growing up, coming to terms with him now as a predator and their heart-wrenching stories. And so I will listen to that and see how and if, you know, a rebuttal is is warranted for that one. Mm-hmm. There is a matter of my energy level and what I can take on, but I am interested in hearing that, uh, especially since, like I said, there were journalists involved that I really respect. I am in the process of re-recording season one, just my vocal parts, just to improve my parts. I am trying to do that. And I am writing the script for season two right now, which looks at the personal side of Michael Jackson and how that supports his innocence, using the accounts of friends, family, colleagues, looking at his family background, his own traits. It's funny because people who have 
promoted his guilt will say, oh, they give the defense that, oh, he's just a genius. So, you know, that's no defense, you know, musical genius. And I I initially agreed with that. That's not a good defense. (laughs) You have to look at the evidence and what the accuser said. But (laughs) it's amazing how when you do look at what makes up his genius, what is his genius, you get more evidence for innocence. And, you know, it makes season two much more interesting because it's it's just more personal from that perspective. Well, I'm very excited about that. Mm, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited to be in season two, too, to kind of, you know, I felt like I had to take a shower every day just to wash yeah, off all uh, of that, you know, the greed and the lying and the, oh, and so season two is going to be just Oh, breath of fresh air for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's like major emotional weight just having to record <sighs> these horrible stories. Oh, God. It, it, I would just, I mean, I I couldn't, I had to space out my listening of the podcast yeah. for as important. I First of all, I wanted to absorb everything. I didn't want to like lose any of it. But also, yeah, it's just, man, it's heavy. It is. That's right. Yes. And that's, you know, from those who didn't know the allegations, who've reached out to me, or my friends or neighbors who didn't know the allegations. You know, they, they want to talk about this, but it's, you know, always just so disheartening. <laughs> you know, everybody comes to me, and they, they're very interested in talking about it, but it's just so disgusting and disheartening, all of um, how he's been treated. What I love about what you're saying, too, is that Obviously, fans, the reason we love Michael and, you know, stay fans is because we know what an incredible gift of a human being he was. Mm. Mm-hmm. And but I don't think that outside of the very dedicated fan community, people really get that as much. His humanitarian work was so under the radar, even though it was huge stuff. A lot of people just like these days, like don't have any idea the kind of person he was and the, the amazing things he did. And um, so my hope is that for more casual fans or non-fans, if they do get pulled into your series, that then they will continue to season two and get this real education on um, on who he was, you know? Yes. I think that's so important. I mean, I had one friend who, she finished series one and she was like, you know, the natural question is, well, but why does he have sleepovers? You know, it's like, I'm completely convinced, you know, she was absolutely convinced and she doesn't think, you know, she, I did convince her, but she's still like, well, why did he have, you know, so that's what season two basically (laughs) addresses through multiple angles is you have to get to know, you have to get to know him. And um, there was just no way I couldn't do that season two if I wanted to make a complete case for innocence. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm excited about that as well. And and that was that was a real gift to me to get to know Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a real it was a real gift to, and and inspiration. And you know, <laughs> who would have thought? I mean, I guess anybody who really researches them, how could you really not become a fan? Right. So that's been a wonderful side effect of doing this project is getting to know his genius. I never understood his genius. And I'm a music person. So this has just been 
fascinating for me on many levels. Now, have you become then like a Michael Jackson fan of his music and everything as well along the way, especially being a music person? (laughs) Yes, especially with June. And I mean, I did even before this to some degree, not as much, just because of following June's passion. So when she wants to explore and talk about this music, I was there to celebrate it with her and enjoy it. But I think doing the research and finding the what this genius means just takes it to another level. And so I was just as captivated by the Thriller podcast by Damien Shields. You know, we both just love that podcast. So I could, Mm -hmm. I can appreciate his music now as well. Absolutely. That's great. Do you have a favorite album or song? Oh, I <laughs> History is my favorite album, ah, for yeah. sure. And I don't know if it's part of it's just from doing the research and being connected to the allegations part of it and just seeing it as his more personal mm-hmm. uh, efforts. But I, I just, uh, yeah, History is my favorite album. And, and Stranger in Moscow is my probably my favorite song. I love her song. And uh, Ghosts is... I love that video. Ghost is probably my favorite video. Mm -hmm. I love that song too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, history would be the album, especially in where your head has been immersed for the last couple of years. (laughs) I know. I can so appreciate it. I can so appreciate it. So, yeah. yeah. And it's just maybe meaningful, the messages even outside of his world, the messages that are most meaningful today, I think. Mm -hmm. From a big picture standpoint, you know, we're, we're clear about your goals going into this. How would you say your goals have maybe shifted now at this point coming out of season one? Um, No, I don't think they're shifted. And I should say evolved. Um, the only thing that would have changed is like I would originally just plan to do season one and season two. But if it shifts, just maybe addressing, you know, these other projects that come out and, and trying to do rebuttals to them. So mm-hmm. that would be probably the only shift. Do you see yourself doing this for years and years to come? I mean, this could become your life. You do it well. No, and it's also no. an all-absorbing thing, right? No, I, I need to, after season two, that's that's probably it for me, mm-hmm. just because I do have other things that <laughs> I want to do. <laughs> Doesn't mean I won't be, you know, out there to continue to support, but probably podcasting wise, I don't see that continuing. Well, we hope you'll continue because I think you do it very well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But I don't know what else there would be. But I think after season two, I think that would be enough, you know, like as far as covering the, the case for innocence. Yeah. I do think it'd be interesting if you kept putting out occasional bonus episodes. These rebuttals, I think, are are great. Uh, yes, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing they keep coming. They they keep coming, right? Yeah. So I know it could be a, a endless. Uh... <laughs> right. So to that end, Cheryl, you, you think that after season two, you're at least going to take a break. Let's say, what other stuff do you have going on? What else is next for Cheryl and June? Do you think? Again, because I've been focusing on re-recording up to this point, 
once I get the re-recordings done, I plan to put my efforts into promoting this outside the Michael Jackson fan community, especially doing outreach to the media sources that I was really disappointed in and trying to connect with you know, other podcasts out there that may have an interest in, uh, you know, opening a discussion. So, so I do want to put some energy into that promotional side, which I haven't had a chance to do yet. I know some people have asked about putting the podcast on YouTube. And if, if you know Jad from Jadversary, it's a YouTube channel that he's done some great YouTube videos He's offered to help bring the podcast to YouTube. So we're hoping to work on that soon as well. Cool. That's great. And that's a great platform to be on because a lot of people just listen on YouTube, even though right. it is not a podcast app. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you got to be available there. So that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, that is just really exciting. And, you know, you've mentioned it several times, but I haven't really touched on it that you are re recording the entire thing. Um, just to put it out there, I don't think it's anything worth like, going into that much detail on, but I know some listeners did not like the narration. Right. I have sure. never had that issue, but some people did. And I just want to say that, I mean, the fact that you have taken that feedback to heart and you're re-recording everything is pretty amazing. So I don't know if you want to comment on that at all, but uh, I admire that you're doing that. Well, I really appreciate that. I, I just, I'll do the best I can do to get it as natural sounding as I can. It's like I said, it takes a really long time because of my vocal limitations. And that's why it's not as natural sounding. But you know, I I put a lot of effort into it so far. So I, I guess before I really work on promoting it myself, I want to have as good a product as I can make it. So uh, I'll give it all I can. Well, you certainly are. And we really admire it. And we really admire this, you know, treasure trove of information you've given the fan community in, you know, a world where as fans, we have to deal with just this ongoing thing again of course never to the the level that Michael Jackson or any of his family or close friends had to deal with but right it can be truly exhausting and yeah. having a resource like this which organizes all of this information and walks us through what can just feel like you know so much to get through and keeping all these cases straight and looking and having the takeaway points, these summaries, uh, the work you're doing, I hope will stick around for a long, long time and continue to be a project that people will discover for years to come in the much, you know, longer, bigger picture quest to support Michael Jackson and his innocence and his overall legacy as a both an artist and a just a human being. So, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for doing this incredible, incredible work. Well, thank you for taking the time to promote us and, and uh, give us your support. It's really meant the world to us. Oh, gosh. You guys were, well, I mean, I can't tell you how important your podcast was to us when these allegations first came out, because like I said, we had no connection to the Michael Jackson fan community. So discovering you, just kind of seeing what was out there to see if I could get more information, finding you, and hearing that Leaving Neverland Roundtable, 
I can remember we were, <laughs> June and I went on a walk and we had like double those double headphones. <laughs> I could just remember this walk and we just kept looking at each other. It was just like, ah, you know, we felt so isolated mm-hmm. in this knowledge that we had that nobody else understood. It just meant the world to our little world. That's why I just give you guys all the love. We just, we, we truly love you guys. <laughs> Is that how you discovered the MJ cast? Yes. Wow. So you just on a walk and you randomly found the Leaving Neverland roundtable. Well, table. not 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 that. I mean, I was actively searching for information from all sources, including podcasts. What's out there? And so that's yeah, that's how I found you. Because before that, you know, I I didn't feel any need to. June was just enjoying her Michael Jackson world. She was young. She didn't need to connect. But boy, once we found you guys, it was just. It was it was great. Well, we're glad you did. Yeah, we're so glad you did. And we were so happy when we got those letters from you. They were so awesome. I was actually searching back in our email. Ah. We had an email from you guys like to contribute a question, I think, to a Q&A we were doing like about the allegations. I think even before you originally like reached out with a longer oh, letter. Really? Um, so it was just oh. great to see your engagement oh, okay. yeah. from the very start. Right, right. Yep. So June, I do just want to ask you a few fun personal questions. Um, so again, you know, as I've mentioned, you go way back with the MJ cast and you guys sending us really sweet letters and us getting to watch you grow up a bit. So can you tell me, first of all, about your favorite MJ cast episode? Oh, that's hard. I think some of the ones that come to mind are the episode where you interviewed Tito. And when I first saw that you did, I was so excited to see that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, Big Al and hearing his stories about Neverland. He just seems like such an enthusiastic and genuine person. The Bill Whitfield episode. Mm-hmm. And I read the book after that and I thought it was very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Great. I think more recently, The Dangerous Roundtable and of course, the Leaving Neverland episodes, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we first listened to when getting introduced to the MJ cast. And the New Adventures of Charlie Thompson is <laughs> memorable. <laughs> and you are a fan of Charlie's, I have heard. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I really admire how he isn't afraid to speak his mind, mm-hmm. not really caring what people think of his opinions. And I think that's good, especially in the MJ community. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to say if he doesn't like some content. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Totally. I totally agree. Yeah. And I know you mentioned Tito. So have you been able to ever see the Jacksons in concert? Are you going to get to at some point? Oh, no, I haven't. I'd love to. But I think the closest we've come is watching an impersonator, the Who's uh-huh. Bad show. Oh you, oh, you saw Who's Bad? Oh, I love them. They're fun. Yeah. Close to DC. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So June, obviously, you and your family are from Virginia. And in that book, Remember the Time, by Bill Whitfield, they mention a trip that Michael took to Virginia, very close to you. Was it exciting for you to know that Michael had been around your area? It was, definitely. And I've been to the town where he was staying. Me too. We actually have someone who works at our local grocery store who was a bodyguard for Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. A few times in the 2000s. It was really neat to talk to him and just, yeah, that he was around the area, definitely. (laughs) Cool. So, um, June, I also have to ask, you know, you've 
grown up a lot during the course of these last few years. So obviously, you've changed during that time, right? You're not then you're not the 10 or 11 year old girl you, you started <laughs> out with. So right. can you tell us just a little bit about, you know, who you are now? What as a music fan, like what music do you enjoy these days? Well, I still I always love Michael Jackson. So definitely, especially the Dangerous album, I always go back to that. Mm. But I think my most listened to music nowadays are scores, movie scores. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, some of my favorite composers are Hans Zimmer, Bear McCreary. So I love those. And I enjoy K-pop. I'm not a huge fan, but lightly enjoy all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the performances are incredible. I love Stevie Wonder and Motown and Depeche Mode, Tracy Chapman. So I think very eclectic. <laughs> A lot going on. You should have been born in the 80s. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, it sounds like MJ was kind of a, has been a doorway to lots of other things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have discovered all the music that I love now without <laughs> him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He set a high standard. Definitely set a high standard. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And you mentioned your favorite album is Dangerous. Is your favorite Michael Jackson song from Dangerous or is it something else? At this point, it's hard for me to choose songs. Uh, favorite song. I remember back in the day I was switching every single day, but now I think I've come up with a set few. Uh, Why You Want to Trip on Me and Who Is It from Dangerous are definitely up there. I think... Little Susie is another one since I love the classical music. It definitely grew on me. At first, I it was harder to listen to. And Just Good Friends, I stand by that and no further comment. But I love Stevie yes. Wonder. So, yes. I mean, it could have been so much better, but, you know, it's what we have. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm going to send you a Club Just Good Friends shirt because it's the best. Yes. <laughs> it does not get the love it deserves. Definitely. <laughs> well, that's great. I just, I love this journey you've been on and I love that you're so into like the Dangerous Era too. And Little Susie, man. Um, yeah, I know not everybody appreciates Little Susie, but I think uh, that's really interesting to look at in terms of the connection with you listening to film scores for sure. Yeah. yeah. I guess one thing I do want to mention before we move on is I think the part of Michael Jackson that's influenced me the most to this day is his book, Dancing the Dream. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing about me is that I love poetry. So I picked it up a few years ago and just reading poetry from him and compilation generally was just amazing. Very cool. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> awesome. I love that you're reading all these books too, Dancing the Dream, Bill Whitfield, um, everybody. You're getting a really incredible uh, foundation and in, in everything, everything Michael was and everything he brought to the rest of the world, right? Yeah. I'm very impressed. I know. I am too. <laughs> so Cheryl, with season one behind you and season two coming up, and with season two, as you mentioned, being more focused on Michael Jackson as a person, have you had anyone reach out to you having listened to season one, you know, who was part of Michael's world and give you their thoughts? Has that happened at all? Yes. Yes. Uh, we had wonderful email early on from Big Al Scanlon. It was just very lovely email thanking us for the work we'd done on the podcast. And it was just a delight to, to hear from him. He was very gracious and agreed to 
answer some questions I had just about the layout of Neverland and some, you know, evidence questions. He was able to answer some of my questions, but just very warm uh, outreach. And that was very rewarding for us. It was a thrill for June. She loves hearing his stories uh, about Michael at Neverland. So that, that was a real pleasure. And just recently, we heard from Taj. Taj Jackson just reached out just to say thank you for the work we'd done. And, um, and that was just made our day. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Oh, that's so cool. Well, Big Al is just such a wonderful human. And Taj, oh. of course. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. fantastic. And I'm sure hearing your project is just so great for him considering his own work he's doing and he's yeah. how great that we're he huge out. fans we're huge yeah. fans so that was great yeah so for season two given some of this outreach you've been getting which is amazing will you be doing any of your own interviews with maybe people like this or will it be still based on material that's out there there's so much out there. So at this point, I, I want to utilize what's out there. And I don't see a need at this point. So it is going to be using audio clips and a lot of the personal accounts that are already out there. Mm-hmm. So listeners, of course, you know, the the real reason we're doing this is we want to get this project out to the next group of, you know, folks who haven't heard it yet. And also, you know, talk to you, Cheryl and June as well, about just how much has gone into all this so that we can really appreciate it. So Cheryl, can you let us know how people can find you? Sure. Our, Our Twitter is at case, the number four innocence. And we can be reached through our website as well, through our contact form. It's michaeljacksoncaseforinnocence.com. Great. And guys, do check out this website because it's it really is quite impressive. Um, and there's a lot of additional resources and info here. Again, this seems like a whole full-time project in itself. So, so it's great. Be sure to check that out. And as far as finding us, Charlie, would you like to let people know where to find you first? Uh, sure. I'm on Instagram as at Alpha Charlie Photos. Uh, my personal is at Charlie W. Carter. Same on Twitter at Charlie W. Carter as well. I'm also on Mastodon, but I can't remember the full thing, but you'll find me. and for the mj cast we are across social media we are on instagram we are on twitter we are on youtube we are trying to get our facebook page back all of those are at the mj cast is the handle as for me i am also across all of social media at elise capron Um, we are on mastodon and there if you go to the mj cast page you will find links for Jamin and myself and Charlie. We're still exploring Mastodon. It's a bit of a bit of a new platform for us. Jamin is doing the vast majority of the work over there. Thank you, Jamin. Um, but we're always there. We love to hear from you guys. And you can always also email us at the mjcast at iCloud.com. Um, I also do want to point out that we do still have our merch shop up over on Redbubble at if you just search the MJ cast, you'll find us there or we have a link on our website. And we do now accept if you have really enjoyed one of our episodes and feel like shooting us the the cost of a, you know, cup of coffee or something. We do accept donations. We again have a link on our 
website, which is the mjcast.com. And uh, anything is appreciated and everything goes directly toward our show running costs to help us keep going and buy new equipment when we need to and pay for our recording platform and all that good stuff. But Cheryl, we have enjoyed this so much. And thank you and June as well for taking the time to come on the show. We can't wait to hear what else you have going on when you do your big wave of promotions coming up. Um, And we'll certainly be standing by to help support you. Thank you. Thank you, Elise. Thank you, Charlie. It was a real pleasure. No, thank you. And thank you, listeners. We will see you soon on our next episode. And in the meantime, stay bad.